Welcome to Ontario Outdoor Pursuit, your total Ontario hunting podcast. What's up, everyone? Ontario Outdoor Pursuit here, bringing you the Turkey Edition, episode number seven. We have got topics for you guys this week. Hopefully that got you fired up hearing that Tom and that Hen. I know off. I'm fired up. I'll probably just be getting doing this the whole episode. <laughs> Every time Marcello talks is when I'm going to blurt it out. <laughs> so we're going to go into a bunch of listener questions in this episode. We got a bunch of feedback, which was great to hear from our audience. We're going to talk about some calls, what we use, everything about turkey hunting to make you a successful hunter here in Ontario. We're going to start off with some simple facts about turkey hunting. First of all, so we're going to talk we're going about, into a history lesson right we're now. We're going to do a little history lesson, yeah. So Turkey's population, talking 1930s versus now, today is the good old days of turkey hunting. Um, the population was actually almost extinct in the 1930s, but due to a trade we had with the states of trading some moose and other animals, now their population's like crazy. Yeah, I'd say overpopulated. <laughs> Kill them all. <laughs> That's why I like to get out for birds. So they were almost extinct, and now they're doing awesome. There's actually over 7 million tur- wild turkeys in North America. Little fact about them, they can see 270 degrees around them, they can see in color, and they have three times better eyesight than a human being. There's five subspecies in Canada and the U.S., and that's the Easterns, the Osceolas, the Rio Grandes, Merriams, and Goulds. We have Easterns here in Ontario, and that's what we hunt. Female turkey, what's young is called a Jenny, where an adult female is called a hen. A young male yearling is called a Jake, where an adult turkey male is called a Tom. A male turkey's droppings will actually be J-shaped, while a female's turkey droppings are going to be looking more like a spiral. So, to start us off, we got a listener question. This is from Steven Johnson. And he wants to know, Cam, when do you call, when not to call, and how much is too much calling? So, thanks for the comment, Steven. Um, when to call? I usually get out there. Um, I'll usually sit out probably about an hour before light. Um, and obviously, I'm locked up in case I have any more run-ins with the MNR which I did last week, so make sure everyone di- does have their uh, you know, their papers and cards in order and licensing. Everything went well from that. Yeah, yeah there was no no fines or anything like that. It wasn't turkey hunting. Yeah, no, wasn't turkey hunting yet. Uh, that was just that goose and he was doing his uh, check. Anyway, uh, when to call. I usually sit out there an hour before light, right when they're ready to come down from the roost. And as soon as I can see a bird flying down, or maybe just a bit before, I'll throw out a few little purrs. And that was kind of like, as I started out in the video, I started out with a couple purrs. And that's just letting them know that it's calm, something's down on the ground, and there's possibly feeding going on in the area. There's already a tom out there, and a hen could be there as well. So now it's become a competition. Um, Turkeys are also very aggressive towards each other. Um, It's a very, yeah, very territorial. So once you, uh, like obviously a Jake is up and coming, it wants to be the next big bad Tom. So that bigger Tom that's in the area, he's going to want to get that Jake out of there real quick. And basically once you've thrown down a few purrs, you know, take a break after four or five purrs. And then I would start to throw in almost a really heavy, uh, scratches all I'll say. And I'll throw that down right now, just cause I love to use this call. But you throw down a couple purrs, let them know the area is calm, you wait it up, and you slowly start getting into it, you get louder. You're letting them know that, you know, they're not the only ones in the area. Probably right off the get-go, I would say, is a good time to call. Usually when not to call. When I've got a turkey that's approaching 60 yards or closer, 
I like getting up close and personal. I usually stop calling at 60 yards. Make them wonder where you are. Yeah, pretty well. Right. Um, if you hear gobbling, that's more incentive for me to talk back to them. Um, I also use a diaphragm call and I will start clocking away with the diaphragm and they respond quite well to that. So as far as when to call, I would just say, or when not to call is probably just when you're getting ready to shoot. At this point, at 60 yards, they've definitely already seen your decoys, and we'll get into some of that. And how much is too much? That's what I was going to say. When's too much calling? Really? I, I don't think there's a point in which there's too much calling, so unless you... you're before light. Okay. Um, like, I like to let them, like I said, just let them know I'm there, yeah. or something is there. And that's pretty well it, but I don't I don't blast it right off the hop. And usually once uh, you know once we get into the later mornings, nine ten o'clock, the it'll start to slow down. Usually toms have found their hen, they're ready to go back up and roost, do their business, and you know you, you're gonna get the odd straggler looking for that lonely hen walking around, and you'll see the tom. Um, and that's happened to me a few times. But really, I guess as the morning goes on, slow down your calling. But that being said, you also don't do like 30 minute intervals of just straight calling yeah no i would probably uh so you can look up on google too and i don't i i kind of don't really remember the pattern i go but it's usually like uh 30 seconds on two minutes off 30 seconds on three minutes off 30 seconds on 10 minutes off and that has worked for me for quite a while for a number yeah, of years you've I'm, done very well with yeah uh, yeah i've been quite successful um so yeah thank you for that um i'm gonna dive in another listener question yeah uh so sean thompson wants to know what's the difference between a 20 dollar and 150 dollar decoy i know he said well this is a good one yeah he can't he doesn't really see the point of spending more than 40 dollars a decoy yeah so you know between you and i what's the benefit of a more expensive call here it is have both I know you, do, you said you don't want to spend the more than 40 bucks, and that's cool. I've got uh, one, I got three decoys that are between 20 and 34 dollars, and I've got one Avian X, and that's a uh, Angry Jake. So the Angry Jake is puffed out, and he's got a tail that you can attach in Velcro. This Jake is not quite in a full strut; like he's not he's not showing off his full fan, and that has been tackled so many times by toms that's funny so he really gets them going um so that's my more expensive one i They're... spent a hundred dollars on that one okay i know mackenzie and i both run uh they're called funky chickens yeah so funky chickens are really good cost for <clears throat> and you can pick that one up for i think it's 34.95 at yeah, canadian tire that's exactly what i was thinking and they're like a football shape yeah they Tiny. stick up and if there's if you got a little hump in your field they make a great turkey for, you know, because they got the head sticking up. And it's like, if a Tom or a Jake seeing that from across the field, it's like, oh, what is that thing checking me out? Oh, yeah. That turkey are automatically wants to come over and see what's going on oh, yeah. with your and decoy. He, he's tiny. Like, yeah. He, I know they make Toms really angry when yeah. they're with the hens because yeah. this thing's got like a two inch beard. It's probably four inches wide. Just a tiny little football. Yeah, and it's it's great. It's a great price point. Absolutely. Um, so my other two that I usually set out, and I'll talk about a bit about my spread because I believe that was in another question from a listener. I have two foam decoys, and I think those were fourteen ninety nine or something like that. And you can buy a, a like a three pack or a six pack or something like that from Bass Pro. Um, so I put out two of those foam decoys, and really you could fold those things up and you could put them in a cup. Like okay. they're they're not very nice. No, but they're super light. It's the fact that they're there, they're there for a spread, and there's more of them. It's letting a lone wolf, we'll call them, 
come in and see that, you know, there's a bunch of people or a bunch of turkeys, I'll say, yeah. feeding there. Feels comfortable. Yeah, he just feels comfortable. So those that's the purpose for those ones. And those are totally okay. But I would, if you can, if you can even stretch it out to 60 bucks, I would do that and I would go get yourself something pretty cool. Awesome. So next one comes from Matt Payne. Uh, midday hunting <laughs> strategies for turkeys. Matt Payne, I believe this one I read where uh, Marcello told you it was nap time. So (laughs) I'm going to agree with Marcello. It is nap time at that point. Um, If you're not already napping by 10 or 11 a.m. I've been fortunate enough probably the past three years in a row now. I have been done within the first hour um, of hunting light for turkeys. But I usually, um, I have heard of guys that are hunting mid-afternoon and they're just finding a lot of lone toms. Um, You're not going to find that group. As I said, uh, those birds have mainly found the hens. They're ready to roost already. So they're already up in the tree and now they're waiting until the evening to come back down and get their last feed before they go up for the night. I don't know. I usually call it quits about 10 or 11 a.m. Right. So if you haven't filled your tag by 9 or 10, but you want to continue hunting, what are you going to do? Well, I'm definitely going to lay off the calls. Once 9, 30, 10 o'clock rolls around, I'm going to lay off the calls. And, uh, you know, I'll throw a couple scratches down, a couple purrs by that. Um, and I'll just sit there and I'll wait. If I don't see nothing, I'll head on over to the other field. I'll tread lightly. And I use a turkey lounger. So actually, I don't have to set up a blind or the odd time I'll carry my uh, turkey fence with me. And that's just like a camouflage fence. Yeah. And it's just kind of nice for when you're moving around and you're pulling up your gun. Obviously, as you mentioned, turkeys have a killer sight. Yeah. So you want to be still as possible for them. Absolutely. This comes from Nick Toll, and this is more so regarding that the new legislation changed here where you don't have to take a turkey course anymore. And so this introduces a lot of new turkey hunters that didn't have the course that we had to take. So from Nick Toll, um, when do you shoot, when not to shoot? Kind of worried about maybe there's a person behind the decoy and it's a walking one. Maybe it's not a real bird. Um, You know, what do you think? So I've had a few instances myself where I'm walking out and um, it's a farmer that's got thousands of acres in southern Ontario. He lets lots of people hunt his property and that's an issue because guys are going out there with their shotguns obviously and you know some guys are in blinds and I can't see that when it's dark out. So one thing everyone I seem uh is getting pretty good at is carrying a light and just flashing it if you see someone else i usually walk out with my light on or a headlamp that way if someone's already set up in the field they can see that there's a light coming they probably know i'm turkey hunting and they're going to give me a light back hopefully and that's going to tell me that someone else is out there hunting not to go over there and that's okay yep So another one, I guess, would be a lot of people have probably heard of a spot and stock. And some people like holding these fans out on a stick and approaching the turkey instead of the turkey approaching them and a decoy setup. Yeah. So if you see a fan, you know, definitely look, take your time. And you don't want to be shooting. If there's a guy behind that fan, Yeah, you don't, you want, don't to want to be shooting at that. No, I think there's a definitely like if it turns on its side, you can see it's not too deep. Yeah, you're pretty good. If you'd see its head move left and right, you're probably pretty good. But, I mean, if you just see a head to pop up, you're like, oh, that's a Tom's head, and a little bit of fan off the edge of a hill on a knoll, mm-hmm. don't take the shot. As I mentioned in the uh, last oh, comment, too. Don't wear red, white, and blue. Yeah, those are <laughs> those are bad those colors. Those are colors wear. that represent turkeys. Yeah, don't shoot them. 
Um, so as I mentioned before, um, I'll get up and just kind of tread lightly around the bush if I'm not finding anything and move to a different spot. Um, if you're doing that and you come across, you know, five to 10 decoys, whatever, someone's got to spread out there, that could be someone's decoy setup. So keep an eye, maybe just crunch down, have a look around. If you got binos, I always wear my binos for every hunt. Start glassing around and see if you can see a hut or you can see someone just sitting amongst a tree and, you know, don't start firing shots off right away yeah. to someone's decoys. One, they they may have spent $100 on that. Two, someone's going to get really hurt. But just always be overcautious. Yeah. I, I don't take a shot. On, like, even when deer hunting with bows, I don't take a shot if it's like, oh, there's a deer, there's some antlers, but there's bush. Yeah. I take that shot when that deer steps out and I go, that is a deer. A, 100. Absolutely. Like, I would bet a million dollars that that is a deer. That is when I take my shot. Yeah. So, Ken Cole wants to know decoy placement and amount of decoys you run. What do you think, Cam? What do you use? I like this one. Um, decoy placement. So I guess depending on time of season that it is, I usually like to run anywhere from one decoy all the way up to six decoys. Okay. And my favorite is an odd number. Okay. Um, and just it's, how you are? Yeah. It just seems to work better. Like that's what I've had most success on. So three decoys. I'm usually running the... Uh, I'll run the Avian um, Strut and Jake, and then I'll run two of the Foam Hens, or sorry, one will be a Foam Hen, the other one's a Hard Case Hen, and one hen is feeding, and in a direction that I like to point them, I'll put uh, the feeding hen obviously just uh, in the center of the field, she's feeding, the Tom is interested in her, but I'll throw the other hen walking the opposite direction. Okay. And usually I'll have it walking into a bush that's about 15, 20 yards away from me, either to my left or to my right, depending on the terrain. And to me, that kind of signals um, a Tom, like there's there's something that's not too interesting here for this hen, and she wants to walk away. She's not already tommed up, and maybe this Tom is interested. Like it's a, we'll put in quotations, a hard-to-get hen. And, you know, that makes him more interested. So he's going to come in closer. He wants to follow that hen. And with the other hen that I have feeding, uh, he feels comfortable. Okay. So for introductory hunter that is just getting into it, maybe he's buying his first decoy. If someone wants to buy one decoy, what would you suggest that they get? Hands down, funky chicken. Yeah. Absolutely. If well, I'm going the single decoy, it's the funky chicken. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but Tom's just hate that thing. It is the most, like... If you can pair it up with a head, that's great. It, it. But if it's not in your budget... Gives off the most action, we'll say. Um, like, it's... If you've ever seen the Funky Chicken, it stood in the most upright position, head held high, and it looks like it's, you know, it's looking over for something. It might be even throwing a little cluck in there somewhere. And that is... That's interesting to another bird. Yeah, and it's not too expensive for the new guys. It's only... Like we said, 35 bucks. And yeah. That thing is great. I've seen from across the field when I was hunting with Mackenzie last year, two years ago, I guess. I've seen Tom run up and beat the crap out of that decoy. Yeah, I've had I've had one good bird, like a successful hunt on my funky chicken. Lots of others come into it and take off simply because other turkeys have come in and spooked it. But they love the funky chicken. Like it brings a lot of interest to the field. Right on. Um, so very last question for, that we got. Um, this is from Fraser Pins. He wants to know what's the must-have for turkey hunting. What the must-have for turkey some, hunting? Let's pretend someone's just getting into it. What are you going to tell them to get, other than the decoy we just mentioned? 
Uh, let's go with the turkey lounger. Only until about four years ago, perhaps three years ago, that I got my turkey lounger. That was from Cabela's, $44.99. Um, and basically this chair is just like a little lounge chair, almost one you'd take camping. But it sits probably two, three inches off the ground, keeps you dry. And you just perch that up against a tree and you just sit there and you sit still. Right. Uh, to me, that chair is like, you know, you don't have to sit on a pad. You don't have to always have a fence up, but it's something comfortable there. Like, you know, we're up at four or five in the morning and we're getting out there. We kind of want to be a little bit comfortable. Yeah. Right. I think you and I kind of differ on this one. Um, for me, my turkey vest. Yeah. Is probably, I was going to say yeah. a vest is a big one for people. I love the vest because I can put my decoys. I run the funky chicken and a hen decoy yep. in my vest um, right in the back when I'm walking in. It holds my diaphragm calls. It call, holds my pot and stick calls. If I had a box call and used one, it has a section for that. Um, they are very versatile. Yeah, it's really nice for... I used to use a chair and uh, blind. Then you have to walk out there with a blind and a chair and hold your shotgun. Um, when I'm walking in the bush, my gun's in a sock, so I put it right across my back in the vest, so I'm hands-free walking in and out. Um, it has a slot for me to put my turkey in, and if I tag out and I'm worried about someone seeing a bird in my back... I can actually pull out an orange flag that covers my back and everyone knows what hunter orange means. It means don't shoot. Um, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with the vest. You know, that's just something I guess I never really got into. I wasn't really introduced to it when I went on my first turkey hunt with a good buddy of mine. Um, you know, we were having a great time the night previous and went out the next morning and it was kind of, you know, you got your shotgun, you got your tag, got your ammo, got your gear your camo yeah um and you were ready to go at that point but you didn't really need you know top of the line this that and the other and so i went out and i sat and it was a pretty good hunt we seen lots of birds that day i think and um i just i didn't see the turkey vest until after so at that point like i was actually using my redhead jacket and that's uh another thing we'll get into um i have a mozzie oak redhead setup and that's a it's a lot more greens. Um, spring's a nice time for that. Exactly. And it's got a, a good amount of pockets that allows me to throw my scratch pad in, my diaphragms in, um, and, you know, I throw my turkey lounger on the back. And I usually carry just a little pack out. So I got two backpacks. We talked in a few casts yep. uh, ago about the Alps, the Alps outdoors. Ones. Um, and this one's just a small pack. I think it was 30 bucks from Canadian tire. And it's just really like a school backpack. It's camo obviously, but it holds everything that I need. Um, and I throw a little bit of coffee in there and yeah, that's pretty well it. Like I just, um, a Turkey vest is something I've always been interested in. And maybe this year I'll pick one up if maybe, I find one for the yeah, right price. Maybe I'll let you wear mine and see what you think of it. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, so there's pot calls and stick calls, right? Yeah. That's together. Um, there's diaphragm calls, which is mouth calls. There's box calls. What do you use? What do you like? Uh, I'm a firm believer in the diaphragm and the slate. I like to hammer both at the right. same time. So I'm not really responding to my own call, but I'm throwing off two different types of calls. If I'm purring, you know, I, I make it a very fluid uh, call back and forth between the diaphragm and the slate call. So after I'm done purring, throw in a few clucks. I do my break, throw in a few purrs, do some clucks, and that's always worked well for me. Okay. So, like, in the pot calls, there's slate, there's glass, yep. there's crystal. 
Yeah, um, you were talking earlier about a glass one that you yep, use. There's an aluminum one too, and so I find that glass is more of a crisp, harsh sound. A little it's ra- a very nice sound. I it's like it. It's raspy, and I find that aluminum and slate are very gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's up to you what you want. So that's to actually a good point that you mentioned. Um, with the slate being a gentle call, uh, a purr's a great call to let them know, like we talked about, that it's nice and calm. There's not much bad going on in the area. And that's a good call to have for that. If you can master the diaphragm call, oh, or it takes more time. you can take two calls out with you, one will be a slate and another be glass. Um, for instance, I use an old raspy hen diaphragm call. So, you know, that's kind of my mediator between the gentle touch and, you know, bringing in that rough hen that's just ready to get down to business. Yep, makes sense. Um, you know, I've used, when I first got into the diaphragm call, I, the first time I put that in my mouth, like I felt like thrown up, but it triggered a gag reflex. It was bad. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> so out of all the calls, that one took me the most time to learn. Um, but it's most versatile really, because people can gobble with it. You can yelp, you can cluck, yep. you can purr. And the cool thing about it is you're not moving. Mm-hmm. Like if you're up against a tree and you're not in a blind, you can have your face mask over your head and still use it. Mm-hmm. And turkeys don't really see moving. If you're, uh, if for people out there that haven't really got into the diaphragm calls, if you're someone that's just purchased one and you're trying to look up, uh, some techniques on how to do it. Um, I started out with the word tuck T U C K and it's just tuck, 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 tuck into the diaphragm call. And you want your tongue touching the top of your mouth, um, with that diaphragm in there. And, uh, there's another one out there. People say Chuck, but I find if you use Chuck, you get too much of the CH into it. Whereas I like the tuck because if you do just tuck the top or the your tongue goes immediately saying the word t to the top of your mouth okay so that works quite well so introductory level hunter um just for the guys getting into it what what call are we going to use maybe a box call yeah a box call is nice to take out there super Um, easy to use very easy pot call is still easy but a little bit more advanced takes a little bit of practice yeah um i would invest in the slate call almost immediately because there's many calls you can do with it yep and um i'd probably start out with those i wouldn't look at the diaphragm right away if you're just you know if you're going out for your first time get into the diaphragm after you've learned the the calls which the turkeys will respond to yeah i always like if you can't observe turkeys naturally in the wild like on a regular basis um you know youtube a video of what turkeys sound like yeah there's lots of just there. hens you know in nature and you want to hear what they're doing yeah um so that covers that camo why is it important well you already mentioned that they see uh like uh, a wide range of view and they see colors that exactly. are beyond any other animal that I think you're going to hunt. Um, so I've been out with guys that are, you know, they're having, they're smoking a butt and, you know, I'll have a cup of coffee out there for sure. But uh, those guys are smoking. They, there's no sense of smell really. So right. yep. I agree. These guys, these turkeys, they just want to, they see, they see everything. So it's every little movement. And I've been in scenarios many times where, Turkeys have been, you know, up to 200 yards away coming in and they're coming in hot. I see them bombing across the field. Beards are flopping around and it's, you know, just because they're 200 yards away doesn't mean, you know, you're vague to them. They see you. So don't move. Sit there, you know, keep on your call. If they stop, get on that call very heavily 
and they will start bombing back towards you. You know, a, de a decoy is obviously going to really help, so I would just make that investment. At least get one or two calls. So there's a lot of different ways to hunt turkeys. I know Mackenzie is really great at spawn stock. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that goes oh, this I've, year. Like, he crawls on his belly and gets right up to these birds. Like, yeah. He's used decoys, and I've, se I've seen him from cross fields take a turkey by calling him into decoys, but, you know, for crawling up to these turkeys, it's something else to see, so... I think that's a cool way to hunt them. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's hunting from a blind, which yep. a lot of newer people can get into. And that's a pretty nice hunt because you're in a blind, you're protected from, you know, a lot of things, especially if it's rain in springtime. We all know what spring's about. You're sitting in the blind, you're staying dry, maybe a little warmer from the wind. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're not going to be struck by the turkey that, you know, there's something moving over there. Now you're in your blind and you're a little more secured. Yeah. And I think the blinds are cool because, as you should or don't know, um, when it's raining, I find that the turkeys run to the fields. I find that they don't like the sound of rainfall in the bush. Mm -hmm. So whenever it's raining, I usually see lots of toms and lots of hens mm -hmm. in the field. Yep. Um, so if you're in a blind, you're actually protected from that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Um, how do you scout for turkeys? When you uh, so... Going back three years now, I went out the first time the night before going out in the morning and just glassing from the truck. I, after work, I took a cup of coffee and I just sat there and basically glassed through the binos and I just looked to see where they were roosting, what they were doing. I seen, uh, you know, obviously I have a good general idea of where the turkeys are in the field. So I go to see if that's in fact where they are. And uh, at what time they're going to fly back up. And yeah. once they're up in the roost, I can say that, you know, I can confirm that that's a good spot for the morning. I know they're not coming down midnight. Um, and in the morning, I will see them there. Whether they, you know, come towards me in a south direction or they head east or west, I know that those turkeys are there. So going out the night before, I'm telling you, is going to help you tremendously. Yeah, I think finding the roost is probably the most important thing for um, hunting the next morning, you know, they're going to be there. Yeah. You know, they're going to fly down. And when they fly down, they're not going like a mile flight to land. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a, usually, it's almost the... a direct like, oh, yeah, it's vertical. Straight, <laughs> it's straight down. Um, so if you go out and actually check where they're roosting, you'll see where they are. Yep. Um, any other tips for scouting? Like bring binos. Uh, yeah, just bring the binos. Even when you're hunting, bring the binos because you never know. Um, you could see another guy walking into the bush at, you know, 6 or 7 a.m. Meanwhile, you've been there since 4.30 or 5, and I've had that happen to me as well. That's terrible. But yeah, it's not it's not something you really want, but it does happen. So if you got a set of binos, um, have a look through them, and it's always nice. You know, you see deer cross the field, and it's just kind of yeah. nice to throw binos on as far as scouting. Um, turkeys do like to travel. They like to know where the food is. Once they found the food, they'll stick around for a while, especially in the early season. They're really into the, uh, the roosting period yep. for birds. So that's a good indication. If you can find where the food is, you're probably going to have turkeys there okay. waited out. If you don't get turkeys one day, don't give up. So where do you usually find, like, I think I know what my opinion is, but what yep. do you, where do you think you find the most turkeys, what type of food source during spring? So when I first started, I was looking at corn and pretty well sticking to that. I thought every animal just wants to feed on some corn and some tilled <laughs> corn fields. 
but which uh, isn't really the case, right? No, and then you know you get into some uh, late beans, late soya beans, and that's usually a brown bean field. Um, but lately, probably the past four years now, I've been going to two different green fields. I was gonna say I found the green fields turkeys in grass as are where it's at. As it sounds. Yeah, it you know it's not it's not a it's not like what we think of food plots and stuff. Yeah. They like if, eating it. I it, found lots of grass inside turkey stomachs. Yeah. If you can, uh, so that's another thing. I found grass in st- uh, turkey stomachs. And um, once you get into that uh, week or second week into the turkey hunt, grass is growing because the sun's out. We're getting lots of rain. And the grass is now probably like 8 inches to 16 inches tall. And if you ever seen a turkey, they stand about, you know, they can stand up to 2 feet tall. Yeah, and these turkeys they feel I would say a little more comforted um, by having this grass halfway up their body. They can still you know walk around and eat and find each other, but it's got to be some sort of comforting level that the grass is a little bit taller. So that's another benefit I think uh, for these green fields, and I'm I'm glad you agree because that's definitely a yeah. pro. That was uh, that's what I was thinking too. Um, so. This year we had some interesting changes to shot size that was added. Um, we're now allowed not only four, five, and six shot, but number seven. Yeah. And uh, what do you use? I use a number five. Yeah, I use five. Always have. Um, and every year I've talked about, you know, going out and getting an archery bird. And This year it's going to happen. It, it's always <laughs> been like if you've ever – if you've not been out turkey hunting, take your shotgun to begin with. A little easier. You're going to have a blast with it. There's nothing more fun than, yeah. you know, throwing the shotgun up on the knee, tucking her into the shoulder, and once that thing's at, you know, 40 or less yards, it's, yeah. it's game over that, for That's it. a good point you actually brought up. So shooting form yep. for turkey, how do you – like when I'm doing it, I'm usually – I'm a right-hand shooter, so my left yep. knee comes up. Yep. Uh, my gun rests on my left knee, and obviously I'm shouldered but I'm tucked into a little, you know, a little weird gremlin position. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I can see right down the barrel. And yeah. I assume that's the same for you. Yeah. I, like I, in. I don't, uh, I use the Turkey lounger, right? So again, right hand shooter and my left knee comes up. I put my left elbow on that and it's on the foregrip of the uh, shotgun and then I'm shouldered and then I'm ready to shoot. I've got my bead on that bird, whether he's come out from 80 yards in um even if he's at 80 yards i'll hold most of my gun in the left hand and i can still that way have my slate on my right knee and i'll be using my stick on the scratch pad and i'll still make a couple calls till he gets to 60 like i said and at 60 i stop calling i'll let him do the work that makes sense um you know i've i run a bead just like you do a standard glow bead yeah Um, but a couple years ago i was really excited when i got my hands on i don't know if you know what the dead ringer is no. So it's like a think if you think of a bow where it has a rear peep sight yeah. and a front bead or a front pin, um, it's much like that where there's an illuminated rear circle. Do you shoot a Mossberg for turkeys? What do you shoot for turkeys? I've used my 870 since I've had it. So this th- year I'll be the Versa Max. So a buddy of mine shot the Mossberg 535. Yep. And that's, that's the combo. The, yeah, it's the yep. three barrel combo edition. And uh, that sounds a lot like what you're talking about is the dead ringer. Yeah, the rear dead ringer. And that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's different. I th- it kind of helps you line up if you can't. If he was not, quite accurate with it. Yeah, like I mean, 
they make one for waterfowl where it's a box edition. It's a little bit bigger field mm-hmm. of view. Um, so I was really pumped to have that. And then I was like, oh, this is so cool. But then as I was pulling up on birds, I'm like, my field of view is kind of obstructed. Yeah. Um, it's a cool idea to get out there. Go look it up. It's called uh, Dead Ringer. But uh, I'm, I'm not really a big fan anymore. No. I don't hate it. Yeah. I'm not saying that. It's just I found that personally. It, it's like accurate for sure. And I should oh, probably yeah. give that guy a shout out. That's uh, my buddy Jake. And he definitely got me into the turkey hunting. So I definitely got to thank him for that. And he showed me some sweet tips and tricks and oh, yeah. hunting properties. And uh, he's since moved away. So we haven't been able to hunt together for a little while. But, you know, once he comes back down, I'll have to show him what's up. <laughs> show him the podcast. Maybe yeah. have him on here. Um, so there's now a standardized day of turkey hunting in Ontario, and that's the 25th of April. So it's kind of cool to, you know, have a certain day. You don't have to worry about what Saturday it is. It's just April 25th now. You know, me personally, I use um, Winchester Double X. That's the brand size of the brand of the shotgun shell. Hey, me too. Do you actually? Yeah. That's hilarious. I I'll pull you... them out right now. Hundred percent. I use the same. That's lines. funny. I know a lot of people have luck with the Winchester XR Longbeards. Yeah. Um, so they're a great shot. That was my bird for last year. Was on an XR only because I ran out of the previous. Um, yep. But once I mean the XRs are gone, then I'll go right back to what I was using. And you use three and a half. Yeah, I use three and a half as well. So Cam, why do we shoot three and a half? Because they don't make a four. Exactly. They don't make a four inch shell. <laughs> if they'd make a four inch, we'd be able to be firing that. <laughs> it's honestly though, it's just more stopping power. It's yeah, bigger boom. It works. Makes me feel good when my shoulder hurts at the end of the day. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, you've shot your bird. Um, you run up, it's dead, you got your tag on it. Um, what's next up, Cam? Do you field dress it? Uh, I don't do much in the field other than tag the bird. Okay. Uh, I put the tag on the heel just above the spur spur um and that's pretty well it uh my dog houston just decided to join in on the podcast you want to say hi buddy no that's about as much high as you're gonna get in so you don't do anything in the field so now when you get home what do you do to prepare this bird for the freezer or for the frying pan so there's a few steps before i get to the fry pan and that is getting the bird ready for a mount. Um, every Good bird point. that I've been interested in or that I've been able to harvest, I've decided to put on a mount. Um, again, my buddy Jake, he showed me how to do my first mount. And that was as easy as cutting the tail out, cutting the beard off. Um, there's probably a little quarter inch piece of cartilage and fat that overlaps the end of the tail. So yep. if you kind of pluck the feathers around where the um, the beard is. You'll be able to pull that beard off. You'll see it where it's attached to the body. You just cut that off and just throw a little bit of salt, salt. on that. Yep. Um, I like to use Windsor table salt. You get a big quantity of it. So put that on it. Just kind of rub it in as if you were, uh, you know, trying to give a cat a treat or something. Um, <laughs> and then, so the tail, once I get to the tail, I fan it out. Um, at this point, you've taken all the meat out of it. You've taken all all the excess stuff that can potentially get any sort of bugs um, to eat away at the last little bit of meat that's on there. Yep. So I take that apart um, and I take a piece of cardboard or if you've got like a, a three by three or a four by four piece of plywood, grab yourself some thumbtacks and you hit the dollar store up for this stuff. They also sell Windsor salt now. Can you believe Dollarama sells like just about everything brand name? <laughs> Anyhow, 
uh, you get your thumbtacks there, and you just pin all of the main frame uh, tail feathers. Yeah, I think the most important is the two opposite ones. Absolutely, because you want to stretch it out as much as possible. Yep. Um, so I'll do that, and then I salt that tail uh, to the max, and I yeah, the do tip. both sides before I pin it down to either the cardboard or the plywood. Um, and I usually leave that for about two months. Now, two months pretty... Uh, is extensive you don't have to do quite two months even a month is good i've done one yep. bird on a month and he worked just great and so i've got one two three four at dad's five in the garage and this year i decided to do the uh wings as well so like if you're interested in doing the wings it turned out okay right oh i love it it looks beautiful um so i guess it, oh yeah i did the feet on that one as well they, that was the first time for that yeah because normally i just do spurs yeah so, uh, there's so many different styles. Like I'm sure your girlfriends or wives are interested in Pinterest. So you know <laughs> what? Use Pinterest to your benefit and search up Turkey mounts. Um, so I tried the wings and the wings go the same way as the tail does. You just fan them out as th naturally as they'll fan out and pin them down on the main frame of the feathers. And you just salt that. And I leave that for two months and I always make the plaques myself. I've been into woodworking yeah. quite some time now. So exactly what Mackenzie and I have done. I like always. it. I like to stain it. I like to cut it. I like to router it. I like to do everything myself. And um, the feet was a new thing this year for me. How would you do that? I've never done feet. So it took a little bit because they are tough. You take a hacksaw and you cut them just a little below the knee. Um, right at the joint there and then they will come apart and there's you can't really because if you take the the legs they're almost scaly if you will yeah it's like it's very scaly it is yeah. so you just salt the upper part of those and stand them upright so like i just throw them on the table saw in the shop lean them up against the wall and then the salt can just kind of embed into the leg okay. um right at that kneecap and i just let them be and then i jig out in the wood how i want them to sit on my mount and uh, what I did to finish them was a varnish. I was going to say, they're very shiny. Yeah, I so I put a you. varnish on them, and I uh, that there was lots of good reviews on the varnish, and it's still taken now, so we're just getting into a year, and it still looks like uh, like the bird's alive, and, <laughs> you know, it looks well. The last finishing touch is I always take the shell that I've harvested the bird with, and uh, usually shotgun, obviously, Um and I'll leave about a quarter to a half of an inch of the plastic after the brass. And I cut that off and I just simply glue that and I glue the beard into the shell. And that's my finished piece. Yeah, it looks awesome. Um, you know, we'll upload a picture onto our Instagram because we're talking about it so much today. And I'd like to see a lot of fans. If, uh, if you guys can send some pictures of some fans in, uh, I have one bird up on the wall that i'm super happy about and that was two years ago in the direct center of that tail uh he's got about a 10 and a half inch beard i think or 10 and three quarters beard one inch spurs in the tail there is just white yeah strands of hair on these feathers yeah it's cool and i love it like it's a, it's a cool piece it reminds me of the wings like the wing feathers. yeah exactly but it's in the tail that's actually part of it. And I thought that was a really cool bird. Uh, if you check out my Instagram, CamLD19, you can also see a picture of when I harvested it, what it looks like there, and it looks pretty cool as well. It looks like that up on the wall now. Okay. So anyways, we've taken the wings, we've taken the spurs, we've yeah. taken the beard. Um, you know, you still got this bird with the most important thing, and that's the meat. Yeah. So how do you get the meat out? Oh, that's our favorite part. 
Yeah, drumsticks and brass. What do you do? So I tried the drumsticks last year. Yep. Very tough. Low and slow is the only way to cook them. Yeah, and I'm talking like not your slow, like your chicken, just to get a nice moist cook. Like whatever you think you're cooking your chicken at, double or even triple that, and you'll be okay. We did like 200 Fahrenheit for like six hours just to get it like tasty. And I did two hours on mine, and it was. I, I screwed it up. <laughs> it was nowhere near. That's the first time I did it. You know, guys never hunted. How's he going to get these bur- uh, these drumsticks and breasts out? Uh, it's as simple as splitting kind of the pelvic and, you know, you just press the two legs aside, cut out your, it depends how you're kind of taking the bird apart, what you want to mount, if you want to mount something. Um, it's a lot easier if the wings aren't on. There's not as much to work with. And I know I learned that last year. Um, so if they're not on, it's pretty easy to cut out. You can just hold the leg in an upright position and you can cut easily around all of that. Yep. Um, if it's still there, it just means there's a little more feathers to work with and you know, you got to tuck the feathers back on one side, pull the leg maybe to the other and hold your knife in the opposite hand. That's easy as well. Yeah. I find the easiest for me is I pluck a little spot on the chest, uh, where the bone sticks out. Yep. And then I cut in, um, cut under the skin yep. and feathers expose the breasts, cut them out, um, use them for cooking. Yeah. Drumstick, same way. I get the feathers and skin out, um, use them for cooking. And that's usually what I do. But sometimes, yeah. you know, I have a lot of friends that do uh, turkey fries. So they'll actually pluck every single feather off this bird, and then you can whole fry this bird. Yeah. I you get rid of the insides, obviously. But Me and you are going to be doing that this spring. Yeah, it's a little I'm bit interested. more work. It's delicious, though, when you get a crispy skin and a really moist inside. A deep fry would be real good. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Have you never had it? Not deep fried turkey, mm-hmm. not in a wild turkey sense. You okay. know, we've had uh, deep fried turkey at Grandpa's for uh, Thanksgiving and such, but that'd be about it. Okay. So I like to throw mine in a, what I call a, a beer batter. Is this um, like a plucked bird? or? What? Yeah, this is a plucked bird. So now I've got my breast in a pan. and Okay, I'll... like this is just a separate breast. Yeah, this is just one, okay. pe- one breast. And if you've never had turkey before, you can probably do one breast for two people, depending on what you're throwing on for sides. Those are some big breasts. Oh, yeah. You usually get a big bird, um, a tom. Oh, they're great. Um, so I'll throw one breast on for me and Victoria. And what I'll do is I'll slice that in half, let that sit for a little bit. I use a half a can of beer and I use a tablespoon, not a teaspoon of butter. Okay. Just let that sit for an hour or two and then I'll throw it on the queue. The butter allows it to keep moist. The beer just gives it a little bit of flavor. Yeah. And that's my go-to every time. Right on. Um, last what do you year, like to do? Yeah. Last year we did turkey sausage actually for the first nice. time. Nice. So that was different. It was just like we had this turkey meat um wild turkey meat and we thought well what are we going to do with this because you know it, it's nice to cook for two people a breast or four people with the whole bird yeah. but it's like if we add pork into it all of a sudden we can make enough sausage to barbecue for a lot of different yeah. um so that was awesome that was very similar to our goose recipe same cut um that we mentioned in episode number two that was the sausage too yep, yeah that was the sausage uh goose recipe that was quite a while ago yeah it's almost uh over a month now two months when I uh, I actually tried one thing, um, it was turkey jerky. Well, I've had not and that was wild. pretty good. 
So I did a wild turkey jerky in the dehydrator. Okay. So that was pretty good. I'd like to try it on the smoker this year. We got, me and you, we got big plans for, you know, doing pepperettes, doing jerky, doing well, it's, all. It's great with the new pit boss. Yeah. It's going to be super easy. I've done jerky, um, like deer jerky in my smoker. Um, but with the new pit boss, I think we're going to be able to do a lot more things. There's so many things we can do with that. Oh, yeah. I'm super happy to have it. Um, that turned out great, by the way. Like, uh, I got to give you some turkey jerky. And usually when yeah, I do excited. goose, I do goose jerky. Um, yep. Until you guys made sausage, I had never done much with my goose. I think sausage is more satisfying because there's more of it at the end. Oh, absolutely. There's tons. It's a You make a full day out of it. So the turkey jerky turned out well, and it was just a nice little snack. And obviously, you know how much meat you get off of those breasts. So they do quite well. They give you a couple of Ziplocs uh, full of jerky. Right on. Um, you know, we've done, just to make it easier for you guys to understand, I'm going to call it a turkey steak. Um, we're, we took the breasts and cut them into good steak sliced portions. Yeah. Um, seasoned it with Montreal steak spice, grilled it on the barbecue as if it was a normal steak. Obviously not eating it medium rare. Um, you know, ch- turkey like chicken, you're going to eat fully cooked. Yeah. Um, but we had them in steak style and that was very good. I really like that style. I love, I love me personally. I love like a Texas barbecue kind of thing. Um, so that was really cool for me to have. Yeah. That sounds delish. Yeah, it was good. We, uh, it was really cold, but. We also just crushed a super dinner tonight, and I we wanted did. to mention that for sure. Because not many people do it. What did we have tonight? Uh, we had Cam's 8-pointer venison ribs, which is kind of like... Uh, I like that most... you mentioned it was an 8-pointer. Well, yeah, it tastes better when it's more points. <laughs> more points <laughs> taste better. Yeah, not really. Um, but, you know, not a lot of people do venison ribs. They do... Usually, most butchers, if you don't process the deer yourself, um, most butchers will cut the meat out of in between each rib and put it in the grinder, and that goes in your grind pile. But you and I tonight actually cooked two full racks of ribs, mm-hmm. and we did it low and slow on the smoker. Um, with the well, wood. it was like a smoker grill. We did a little bit of smoke, but yeah, we, did we did more the... grill set at 200 to 250. Yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't like a full like 400-degree barbecue, yeah. though, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got you to thank for that one. Like I never would have tried it if you said, Hey, like, why don't, you know, how do you like your bar or the deer ribs? And I'm like, well, I never had them before. I mean, I'm certainly interested in trying them, but yeah, I think it's, it's cool because if we had cut the meat out of that, we maybe would have got like, I don't know, probably half a pound of meat out of it. Yeah. I mean, we got tons of tons more ground. We got what we did a five gallon pail out of that new bandsaw that you got. Oh yeah. And we filled that five-gallon pail in about 15 minutes. So that was a solid 25 pounds of yeah. ground meat. Yeah, and it's it. I think deer ribs are a different thing for you to try if you're just, you know. They were great. They, they were turned having, out real well. Yeah, as long as you wrap them, we added moisture at the end in the tinfoil packets when they're still on the grill. Kept the moisture in, really juicy. Your girlfriend didn't mind them, and she's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, she's fairly particular on what kind of red meat she's eaten. Obviously, there's lots of game going on in this house, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but she really liked it. So we talked lots about barbecuing. I want to get into a little bit about what's going on this year. And this year, there's going to be lots of archery uh, turkey hunting. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've never taken a turkey with a bow. Um, I think it's a lot more... I'm not going to say difficult, but I think it's there's a lot more factors to it yeah. where drawing a bow is a lot more noticeable than, you know, just putting a bead on a shot with a shotgun on a bird. I would agree. Um, I think there's a lot more variance too. like I think you can there's a lot more choices for broadheads you can use. Um, you know, if you bow hunt deer like we do, 
really there's mechanical and there's fixed. If you break it down, that's what it comes down to. Now with turkey, obviously there's still mechanical and fixed, but there's um, like the head lobbers. Um, yeah, the guillotines. Guillotines, that's the brand I was thinking of. So there's a guillotine which is meant to actually take the turkey's head clean off. Um, usually about a three, three and a half inch cutting diameter. Um, aim it at the neck, boom, turkey's head's gone. Um, there's turkey broadheads which actually are designed to not completely penetrate through the bird. Uh, I know Rage makes one with a reverse hook on it, so instead of the blades coming back towards the fletchings, they curl back towards the tip of the broadhead. Um, so it's kind of like a barb uh, effect on a fishing hook, where it goes in and it's meant to kind of stay. And I think those are going to be really cool to try out. Um, being realistic, I'm probably going to use my old deer broadheads, because if I can drop a deer with it, I can drop a turkey. And since I'm buying new broadheads this year, I'm not just going to let my old ones go to waste. One thing I want to talk about was a shot placement with turkey archery. What's your thoughts on shot placement? So with a shotgun, I'm right underneath the head. I don't like the tip of the head. Yeah. Um, mainly because I'm worried about most of my shot going over and past the bird and missing it. Yeah, I would go for the short side of the neck and the head. Right. So with a bone arrow, though, I like where the wing connects to the body. And so it's going to do... A lot of things number one the vitals are behind that which is a dead bird number two if you take their wings out they're not going to go very far so anyways that's the shot placement i like i know if i use guillotines or a head lobber obviously i'd be aiming more towards the neck and head area um but i don't i just use normal broadheads so i like to go for that and i want to cut in there because once you're aiming for the wing area um, I want to say that's kind of, and maybe you'll agree to disagree, is okay. what kind of broadhead you're going to use for that sort of shot placement. For me, if I'm using something like what I'm using for a whitetail, that's a two and a half inch hypodermic. Right. Um, I'm going to try and place that shot when, and this is always based on how I have my decoys, but it generally works uh, 95% of the time, is once they turn from me and I have the back end of their fan face towards me I'm going for the shot on the butt you're talking Texas heart shot right yeah I don't know I'm not uh so at that in that sense I would use my two and a half inch hypodermic mm -hmm. on the butt shot but if I'm going for a wing shot I want to use something smaller like a muzzy um even the trocar would be a perfect example for Something a like wing an inch shot. and a half right something small. smaller like two and a half inch cut on an, a bird like that you are kind of running a risk of a little bit of damage to the breast right okay i see your point um i think we are going to disagree to, or agree to disagree on this one because yep. my worry with a butt shot is and maybe this is completely untrue and someone's just going to tell me i'm full of it mm -hmm. but i'm worried about all of the internals like the whole digestive tract opening up and yeah. getting on the meat and potentially spoiling it. Mm -hmm. um, with a wing shot, yeah, I might get a big slice through it, but I cut my meat anyways, right? Like, I, I think that you're right. We are going to agree to disagree because the breasts are, if you're taking a butt shot, those breasts are higher up that I don't know if you'd spoil the meat. Right. But I see what kind of view you're kind of taking. I just figure like if you get like a certain type of material on the broadhead yeah. and it pushes forward it might yeah. 
maybe it's completely wrong. And yeah, maybe... there's so much energy. Most nine times out of ten, you're getting a pass around a turkey. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if it's going to pass through the meat and yeah. carry it. Um, no. But I, sure. I like the wing shot because it's a dead bird. And yeah. You get a cut on the meat, but whatever. Like, you you know, most of the meat we cook isn't absolutely perfect. And sometimes mm-hmm. when I cook steaks, I take a cut into it just to see mm-hmm. if it's cooked rare. Yeah. Um, that doesn't bother me. I know, you know, if it bothers you, it's cool. I'd like to hear uh, what everyone else has got to say as well. And uh, you guys were real good on the comments for this podcast. Lots of... Oh, we had uh, lots of feedback. Everyone was interested, and that's great. And maybe it's just because it's uh, up and coming. But um, because this will already be posted, if you guys want to comment on iTunes or Podbean, Podbean's a good one that we can relate to after the podcast has been uploaded. So let me know what you guys think about mine and Marcello's discussion. And, uh, you know, it'd just be nice to hear. Yeah. And the great thing about Podbean, like you said, is when you guys comment on Podbean, it goes directly to our phone. Yeah. We can see it right away. With iTunes, um, we actually have to go and check iTunes and see if anyone's commented. We've got comments on iTunes before, but there's no notification program. Uh, program that really mm-hmm. does it. It's supposed to send to email, it is, yeah, but it never has. I'm about to drop Apple products. I think. <laughs> I'm not very interested anymore. Completely unrelated. We yeah. don't really like Apple products. So, anyways, I think that wraps it up for turkey hunting. Yeah, we talk lots on that, and I'm super stoked. I know me and you are going to do lots of film hunts this year. Yep. Uh, I got a couple buddies that are real interested in going out, and uh, just kind of based on my success, I'm not guiding, but I'm going to help these guys achieve their first birds. Yeah. Uh, S. Grimnick 11, you're going to be out there this year, and we're going to be getting you a bird. Um, I think it's cool, too, because he's been really supportive of this podcast. He has, yeah. Adding lots of questions. Yeah. And so it's cool to take someone from the audience out for their hopefully first successful hunt. And you hooked me up with birds and goose and waterfowl to come. I can't wait for ducks, especially oh, yeah. if it's like it was the past couple weeks. Yeah. Um, but me and you, we, we were going to go crush last week. Please turkeys. don't think we were shooting ducks last week. <laughs> yeah, no, we weren't. <laughs> we it was be... just the amount of ducks okay. we saw. Okay, good. Just making sure. Um, no, but me and you, we we're going to go crush some turkeys. And, you know, we are both like we're we just like to film and we'll see what each other is. We're always trying to up each other on the archery game. So we'll yep. see what happens with this year. It'll be good. Absolutely. So anyways, thanks again for listening. Uh, episode number eight is coming out next week, hopefully yep, yep, sometime for sure next week. And, uh, I think we have some topic ideas for that one, but we're going to let that one to be a little teaser. Yeah. We're going to do another, uh, we'll make another Facebook post on a few pages and see what you guys want to hear about. That's our biggest thing. You know, if, uh, I don't know, what do you, what do you think? If someone wants a topic that they just want to go in depth about and we haven't already talked about, if someone wants to do a call in, Let's make next week a call-in opportunity. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that'd be cool. If anyone wants to call in and talk some stuff, talk some hunting, Yeah, I'm more than happy to have them We've on We've met show. lots of new people already. And... Yeah. And today we had some really, can't go into detail, but some really important business decisions. Yeah. Which uh, kind of keep us alive for the future. Yeah, that'd be so, sweet there. This, we'll let... uh, hopefully this podcast is going to go a long way. Yeah. All right. Anyways, that's it for Take care. Tonight. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. All right. Thanks, everyone.